Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the In Context and Culture podcast. We're so glad that you are joining us today, either on video or on Spotify, Apple podcast, however you're tuning into this podcast. Hey, we've been doing this uh, for a while now, uh, a little over a year, if I'm not mistaken, somewhere around that. Yeah. Um, And uh, yeah, we're on video now. Uh, We're in season two. In season two, we decided to walk through the book of Revelation. Uh, I think just in our current cultural context, there's a lot of questions concerning, hey, is the things that we're experiencing in North America um, uh, uh, revealing the fact that Christ will soon return? How should we view everything that's going on? And so we thought it'd be a good idea to walk through the book of Revelation uh, at the end of the day, because it's a reminder of our sovereign Lord, uh, of the the. Uh, push for believers to remain faithful and to fix our eyes on the promised return of Christ. So uh, that's what we're doing as we walk through the book. So we hope that you're walking through with us. We hope you open your Bibles and walk through us uh, through it with us. Uh, just as a reminder, um, we're in Revelation 3. Um, we'll be looking at the church uh, in Philadelphia. And uh, this is a section in the book of Revelation that uh, comprises chapters two and three, uh, in which John uh, writes to the angels of seven churches, seven real churches um, in Asia Minor, but also seven representative churches. Seven is a number that means totality or fullness in the book of Revelation. And so these are just as much uh, for us, even though they're originally to these real churches in Asia Minor 2000 years ago. And in these letters, Christ gives Christ gives a personal and a practical message for local congregations that were enduring persecution. We can see that in chapter one, verse nine, to hear and to heed that they might conquer as Christ has conquered, that they might be faithful amidst persecution and that they might inherit the promises of God. So uh, there are five characteristics of these letters um, or five things um, to basically show uh, the typical structure of the letters. uh, And we've kind of uh, named them uh, with five C's. So we'll go through that real quick and you'll see us walk through that in our letter uh, today. So uh, the first is a characterization of Christ, talks about who Christ is, what he is like, and it's particular for that church, um, the way that Christ is characterized. Uh, There's a commendation. uh, If the church is doing something well, or if they're faithful in a particular area, uh, Christ commends that church uh, in those areas. Uh, There's a critique, number three. um, If there's an area in which they are not being obedient to the Lord, or they are um, uh, not in uh, 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 ridding sound doctrine from their church, they're rather they're um, pursuing uh, false doctrine. Uh, He might bring a critique against them. Uh, And there's a command. Maybe it's a command to repent or to hold fast or to continue what they're doing. Lastly, with uh, number five, a call to conquer. Uh, Basically, it'll say something like to the one who conquers, uh, that is, resolves to remain faithful and continues to be faithful to the Lord. Uh, What we promise to them is not an, uh, an, an, an object or a thing, but rather Christ himself for all eternity. So we've looked through some churches. We're in church number six. That's the church in Philadelphia. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to go ahead and read it tonight. Uh, Here's what it says in Revelation chapter three, verse seven through 13. If you want to follow along, I'm in the ESV. If you're in your car, just listen closely. Here's what it says. Revelation three, verse seven. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write the words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut and who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, 
I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming upon the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. All right. So we'll, uh, we'll jump in here. And uh, as Trent said, we're starting off this letter like we do, like every one of the letters has been started by looking at the character of Christ. And I think it's important for us to remember that Christ has always given church um, what they need in describing who he is before he ever gets into the body of the letter. So we have here the words of the Holy One, the true one who has the keys of David or has the key of David. Christ describes himself as the Holy One. And if we went back to the Old Testament, we would see that uh, in the book of Isaiah, Yahweh is almost exclusively referred to as the Holy One. And so there's an identification here with Christ being holy, that he is divine. He is the same essence of God the Father, but he is also the true one. Uh, there had been a denial of Jesus as the Messiah, but he is the true Messiah. And so uh, the Jews who would have said that he was not do not get to determine who he is, but he alone determines who he is. And he, he has the key of David. Now, um, the key of David is, is extremely important. And if we went back to Isaiah chapter 22, we would find there that there's this uh, oracle of woe and this oracle of judgment that comes as the, uh, as the prophet announced judgment against Jerusalem and the Israelites, because they had trusted not in God, they had trusted uh, in themselves to protect, to protect them from their enemies. And I guess I would say that they would trust in themselves as um, God's chosen people, that they wouldn't incur judgment because they were God's chosen people. Well, God makes it very clear in Isaiah 22 that they would incur judgment. And the way he does that is by talking about um, Shebna, who is representative of the people of Israel. He holds the key there. He's the steward of the household of God. And so as a result of them not trusting him, God says about Shebna that he was going to thrust him out of his office and he was going to give the key to Eliakim, who's the son of Hilkiah, and he was going to clothe him in a robe of white and give him a golden sash, and, uh, and, they, and the key would be placed on his shoulder. Now, that's interesting, because keys don't usually go, in, go on shoulders. They go in the hands, but they're used for opening or unlocking the door, if you will. And so Christ, in his description as 
the one who is holy and true and has the key of David. He's the one who opens and no one will shut and shut and no one opens. That's exactly the words that were used of Eliakim uh, there in Isaiah 22. But what Eliakim nor any other Old Testament saint could do, Christ has done. He has, he has the key of a kingdom. The, the, the government shall be upon his shoulders. And, and so Christ is the determiner of, the, of who gets into the kingdom and who does not. And so I think that's very important for us as we look at this, because Christ says, no, it's not the, it's not the Jews that determine who's in and out of the kingdom, but I'm the one who determines who's in and out of the kingdom. Mm. And so that's, that's who Christ is describing himself as. And as we get down in the body of this letter to the Philadelphia church, I think you'll see that that becomes key, pardon the pun, uh, it becomes key to, um, what they understand about who they are as the people of God and who are not the people of God. That's so. good. So I think it's a good reminder just, just to, to put ourselves in the place of these Christians who are enduring persecution. They're not welcome amongst the Jewish people, even though some of them might've been formerly Jews. They're not even really welcome in their Roman environment because the Romans are beginning uh, uh, to persecute them. Uh, whether it's a mass persecution or it's isolated incidents of persecution because they're not joining in the Roman imperial cult by worshiping the emperor. They're not joining in sacrifices at the temple um, for Zeus and Artemis and all these other uh, pagan gods. Uh, they don't have a home, right? I mean, they're, they're practically homeless. They are exiles. They're strangers in a foreign land, right? They're elect exiles. They are the people of God. And um, what I, I think is just unique here is, hey, uh, I've got the key to the kingdom and you're in. Yeah. So you may not have a home here, but guess, guess what? Uh, you have a home in my eternal home, right? Uh, I think this is just such a cool picture of uh, you have been granted access. I have the key. I shut the door and hold you in. I hold you in my hands. Your access into the presence of God is even granted, not through a curtain, uh, but through the cross. That's the book of yeah. Hebrews, right? And so um, I've given you access. You have access. You are my people. No matter what anybody else says about you, um, uh, you are a part of, of me and, and I've got you in my hand. I have given you access to the Father and I will never shut you out. I think this yeah. is just a great picture. I mean, they're, they're like, they've got like probably not much food. They're enduring persecution to know, hey, we've got an eternal kingdom that supersedes and, and outlasts anything that we see in this present day. Man, that's encouraging. That's encouraging, not just for them, for us. Like yeah. that, you know, because I think we're going to see, I think we're already beginning to see the, the rumblings of persecution, tribulation in our own day. And so uh, to be able to go back to this and, and have that reassurance for ourselves that no matter what we encounter, we're his and we get in, uh, man, that's huge. Yeah. So let's like keep moving here. So commendation, right? Um, so what's this church look like? I mean, they've got uh, the, the Lord who holds the keys, who has the kingdom, who's the ruler of all. Like, this has got to be just an amazing church, right? Like, they've got to be, like, influential, right? They've got to be strong. They've got to be, I mean, like, um, they, they've got to have uh, a great influence in their community, right? I mean, right? But the first thing that it says about them is what? Uh, 
you've got little power, (laughs) right? I mean, uh, that is the opposite picture that you would have in your mind. uh, Probably when you think of, okay, let's look at the churches in the book of revelation. There's a rich church, Laodicea. There's an influential church. uh, um, What was that Sardis that we were just in? Um, And yet this uh, little church, we don't really know too much about it, um, but probably not much influence, probably not much people, probably enduring persecution, probably not very wealthy. I mean, all that he has to say about this church is, commending them. And he commends them for three things. And I don't want to get too far ahead. We'll come back, but um, he commends them for keeping his word and not denying his name. Right. So they have held fast, held fast despite persecution to the fact that they are followers of God, unashamed followers of God. Right. Um, And they've kept his word, therefore not only holding out his name before the people and enduring persecution as such, but they've obeyed the word of the Lord as well. Yeah. yeah and I, I think it's important to see too, that, 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 that is their works. You know, Christ mm-hmm. says, I know your works and their works are not just, you know, going out and doing good deeds. Their works are keeping the faith Yeah, because, you know, um, back in um, one of the gospel, I think John's gospel, um, Jesus talking to this group of people who had come to uh, receive food after he'd fed the 5,000 and, and he kind of gets onto them because they said, he said, you're just coming to get your bellies filled again. And you're not really wanting true spiritual food. And, and they're like, well, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. And so like their belief, their continued trust in God is their works. And so there's, there, it's not as if there's these big feet that they've accomplished. They just mm. continued to hold fast to God. And that's what we have to do in the midst of persecution as well. That's good. Yeah. Um, so, so could there be, I'm going to play kind of an opposite side here, not of what you said, but just in our own minds, uh, do you think there's ever the mentality of, okay, so this is a small church. They're doing everything right um, uh, as far as in obedience to the Lord, but they have no influence in their society. They're um, not welcomed amongst their former Jewish kinsmen, some of them, right? Um, they, they're not doing the big Easter hunt extravaganzas where they're dropping a bunch of Easter eggs from the plane or plane from, from the helicopter, right? Um, they're, they're not, uh, you know, manning a huge station at the Super Bowl experience and welcome by the police department to do a big thing. I mean, Super Bowl is this week, upcoming weekend, and we've had the Super Bowl fan experience right there because I'm in Tampa. Um, but uh, they're, they're commended. So I, I think I, I think a couple things here. Um, first off, um, success in the world's eyes is not necessarily translated to faithfulness in God's eyes. Right. We've already talked about that, but I, I do think there could be a wrong approach to basically say, okay, we've got to make sure everybody hates us so that we are faithful. Yeah. yeah you, do you think there's sure. a flip side to sometimes? Um, you know, like uh, I remember talking to a, a, a guy in our, our church who's just awesome and goes out and shares the gospel every week. And I remember like early on in our conversations, you know, I was basically saying, hey, we go out to share the gospel so that people hear, not so that we can go get persecuted. And if we get persecuted, 
um, we pray that we're faithful in the process. That's not what we're going for. We're mm -hmm. going for people to hear the gospel and believe, right? right? And so their mentality, and one thing that I think made them so faithful is they were not trying to make a name for themselves, and they were not self-righteous in the opposite end of basically saying, hey, let's go get persecuted. It was simply, hey, let's labor for the Lord, holding fast to his word, no matter what happens to us, no matter we're influential or not, no matter if people listen to us or not, no matter if um, you know we uh, grow or not to a certain number, um, let's be faithful to the Lord. And I think this is why they receive the commendation that they are, even though um, they're just noted as being of little power. Yeah. Well, and, and it, it puts the emphasis on Christ. Like right. we don't ever have the power, the power is in the gospel. And, and I think that's what we see here because, you know, he had, he says, I've set an open door before you. And we talked about that being an open door to the kingdom for these, for these believers here in Philadelphia church. But I think it's all, there's also this idea of there's an open door for you. There's an open door for the gospel. Because there's several times in scripture that, that, it's, that there's this picture of an open door. Um, Acts 14, 27, 1 Corinthians 16, 9. Several Colossians of those places. Four. Yeah, there's, there's several of those places that talk about an open door for the gospel. And that's exactly what you see mm -hmm. in their faithfulness. They have been given an open door because in verse 9, it says, behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet and they will learn that I have loved you. So through their faithful witness, there's an open door of evangelism. Their, their faith that they're going to hold on to Christ is more valuable than anything, including their own life, is a testimony to those unbelieving Jews. Mm. And whenever it says that they're going to come bow down, it's not as if the unbelieving Jews are going to come bow down to them as if they are divine or as if there's this some kind of humiliation that they're experiencing. What They're coming and bowing down in repentance um, and acknowledging that, yes, you as the church are the people of God, and we want to be included in that. So they're repenting of their sins. And so there's, there's both this idea of an open door that these, that these Gentile believers have received from Christ. And so they're included in the kingdom, but also there's an open door of evangelism. And that's, I mean, I think that's the way we have to look at it ourselves is that, yeah, we've been given an open door. So we want to, we're, we're powerless other than the power of the gospel, but in that there's all power so that we can go out and preach the gospel, share the gospel with people, and they can be received into the kingdom as well. This is not an exclusive club as if we've made it in and we don't want anybody else in. Like we're even supposed to love those who are enemies and yeah. we do that by sharing the gospel with them. Yeah, if, if this church truly was a faithful church, which it was, right, um, they're, they're most likely humble in heart, and they most likely desire others to hear the gospel. They didn't just keep the word for themselves. They didn't just hold fast to his name. They did so for the glory of his name and for the proclamation of the gospel. And their hope is not only to just be the faithful church for the Lord, but be the faithful church that is a witness to the world for the Lord. And, and probably in reading this letter and hearing, you know, about themselves, hey, they're hearing something really unique from the God here because they've been persecuted by slander. I mean, I'm, I'm implying, I think we can take that slander from 
those that claim to be followers of God, that is the Jewish people who say, yes, we follow the Lord, yet they reject the Messiah. First John says they're not followers of God if they've rejected Jesus, right? Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And so if they rejected Jesus, they've rejected God. They don't know God, right? And so they're imposters. They're the synagogue of Satan. They're anti-Christ, literally. Uh, they've uh, probably sold their names out to the Romans who are persecuting them by saying, hey, these are not our people. These people will not, um, you know, they're not paying you money. They're not uh, bowing to your gods. Uh, they're not of us. Don't let them in. And so there's got to be kind of some anger in the Christians toward the Jewish people um, for that slander. And yet what the Lord says is, hey, um, uh, I, I will vindicate you do not be angry against them. In fact, I will bring them to repent to repentance so that they acknowledge that you are following me. And hey, if these Christians think about it for a minute are, are seeing this and they're truly their heart is for the Lord, they're probably worshiping God. Yes, they're going to come to yeah. know the Lord, right? Yeah. Like this is not, you said it great, that this is not a moment in which they're like, finally, they get what's coming to them, right? Yeah. No, like they're going to finally acknowledge that God is, um, that Jesus is God right? That we are following the one true God, that what we've been proclaiming to them consistently um, uh, uh, is true. They're going to be like the Bereans who look at the Old Testament and say, oh yeah, Jesus is the promised Messiah that is to come. And what joy that would bring a faithful church, right? That they would yeah. not harbor hatred against the those that um, hated them, but rather they would love their enemies, pray for those who persecute them, and be the picture of what Jesus calls them to and which calls us to in Matthew 5, right? Um, so this is a great picture. Yeah, the synagogue of Satan, they say they're Jews. I will make them come and bow down at your feet. They will learn that I have loved you, right? Um, I think it just, I mean, I, we've already explained the point, but it's just, I will make them come and bow. I will yeah. make them come. Not, I hope they will come or some of them may come. Hey, I will open their eyes so that they can see that you're my people. Yeah. 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 And that's, I mean, that's, that is such a comfort to know that number one, our, our evangelistic efforts are not in vain. Yeah. Like God is the primary agent in people's salvation and the, the gospel is a power unto salvation for all who believe. And so that's the means by which God uses but he's going to be the primary actor and the primary effector on the hearts of the sinners and bring mm -hmm. them. Yeah, yeah, you're right. This is not, I, I hope they will. This is, they will, because I will make them. Yeah. He is the, he is the causer. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I don't know that we have the, the words um, of how he's going to do that, but the Lord sometimes brings judgment and, um, and, and, um, and brings discipline. And so it might be through pain that the Lord opens the eyes of the synagogue of Satan, but the, 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 the reality is that they'll, they'll believe I'll come to yeah. acknowledge the, the God of the universe. So um, let's go on uh, because you have kept my word. So we're still in commendation. This is verse 10 about patient endurance. So reminder, these churches are enduring tribulation. Um, so whatever you think about tribulation, tribulation is always something promised for Christians that they will endure. Um, from the very beginning in chapter one, John is saying, you are my brothers in the tribulation, right? Um, so they're enduring uh, patiently, eyes fixed on the promises of God to come. I will keep you from the hour of trial because you kept my word that is coming on the whole world. So there's this hour of trial coming. God says, because you've kept my word, I will keep you from the hour of trial. 
um, that's coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. Okay. Now, now, now help me, Corey, because, um, you know, obviously there's some different frameworks here um, that someone might see this verse and say, okay, the hour of trial that's to come against those that dwell on the earth, that those that dwell on the earth is a common phrasing for unbelievers that dwell on the earth, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or the nations, uh, the unbelieving nations. Uh, I will keep you from the hour of trial because you've kept my word. So is he talking about a specific allotment of time? Maybe is he referring to the rapture where the church will be raptured out for seven uh, years um, in heaven with the Lord? Um, help me think through this hour of trial. So the pre-tribulation dispensational view would be that uh, this is potentially referring to uh, the tribulation being brought against the Jewish people um, for seven years and against the world for seven years um, while the church has been raptured. Yeah, I think that pre-trib dispensational view would, I mean, they would have said the church has been raptured out prior to chapter four, I believe. Um, but chapter three ends what where the churches are. They're gone in chapter four. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but here, obviously, he's talking to the church and said, I will keep you from that hour of trial. Uh, and like you said, that this, this phrase, those who dwell on the earth, does refer to unbelievers. And so there, there is a trial that is coming for unbelievers, that hour of trial. There, there, there will be judgments then. But that's always going to be hey, you in lagged reference for a to... What did you say? What'd you say? I said that's always going to be in reference to the pagan world. You know, the judgment yeah. is coming against them, and so this this I've will keep from the hour of trial doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be raptured out of it. It means they're they're going to he's going to keep them through it because the whole period from Christ's first coming to Christ's second coming is described as a tribulation. I mean, Jesus says. You will have tribulation in this world, but fear not, I've overcome the world. And so, you know, I think we need to understand that that doesn't mean keep from, but it means keep through. Um, And and whenever you think about the fact that these these trumpet and bowl judgments that we're going to see coming later kind of mirror and parallel the judgments on Egypt in the Old Testament, um, those those Israelites were not, they were not removed from those things that whenever they, whenever they happened in Egypt, those judgments that God brought against Pharaoh and the Egyptian people, but they were kept through them. There were many times that, that the judgment came and the Israelite people were spared from it. It's not just the, it's not just the last one, whenever the blood is put over the doorposts, but the other trials too, that, that, the the, the plague of darkness in Egypt that happened, happened everywhere except for the land of Goshen where the Israelite people dwelt. And so whenever we understand that, that, that there's, there's a parallel there, then it doesn't mean that we're going to escape the time that the judgment comes, but it means that we're going to escape the wrath of God. And so he's going to keep them even through that hour of trial. So I think we see the hour of trial being the whole time period between Christ's first coming and second coming. So let's, let's just maybe think of some things here, right? Toss around some ideas. Cause I, I think what you said about Exodus is awesome. So um, we're showing a little bit of our cards, I think where we might stand on the whole tribulation thing. 
Um, trials is a word that's used um, for believers in the book of James. Um, it's used uh, for believers, uh, meaning the things that they will experience throughout the New Testament. Tribulation is always a word that tri- uh, that um, believers are expected to endure throughout the New Testament, right? Um, the word tribulation is persecution, even brought against Christians, um, trials, difficulties. Um, uh, so um, when you look at the New Testament uh, and uh, see how it might help you understand Revelation, what is clear in the New Testament, ought to help us understand revelation. I think even over what might be some unclear parts of the old Testament. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, I think an interpretive strategy is basically, okay. um, When we're trying to interpret the unclear, let's look at what is clear, not try to connect something that could be and try to make a framework out of it. Right. So, okay. 70 here and 20 here and 12 here. Let's put this all together and make a framework. Well, what does the Bible say in the new Testament? What is clear? Well, Christians will endure tribulation. Right. So if we take that, what is clear in the New Testament, I think we can interpret this much easier and much clearer with the expectations that Jesus gave his disciples. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, prepared for them. Um, I was going to say a couple other things uh, about that. Yeah. And, and I think I think just practically this is what I was going to say. Um, if you're thinking, OK, if God is going to keep if there's a promise here that he's going to keep them from certain aspects of the trial. If, right, that's what it means. Like in Exodus, they weren't taken out of Egypt to not experience um, part of the plagues, right? Yeah. Um, God, God, cannot, like, God can operate within one space and basically say, hey, I'm going to bring this upon you and not upon you. He doesn't have yeah, to say, absolutely. well, I have to operate in this whole space. And so I got to you completely unroofed from this space so that you aren't harmed, right? Now, God can do what he wants, when he wants, where he wants, with who he wants, to the extent mm-hmm. that he wants, Right. And so if he wants to keep them in Egypt so they can see his work against the people that have um, uh, ridiculed them, slandered them, enslaved them, he's going to keep them in Egypt so that even his own people can see his power. And oftentimes when his people see his power, they celebrate his power. Right. Even against their enemies, because, hey, they uh, did not bring vengeance. We wait. The Lord will bring vengeance. I mean, Revelation 12 or Romans 12. Right. Do not pay evil for evil. The Lord will do so. So in trying to do that, you're taking something that's the Lord. I will repay, says the Lord. Vengeance is mine. And so we entrust the uh, um, the reality that Lord, the Lord will take care of enemies to him. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, So. uh, yeah, and, and, and basically, we would basically argue with that framework that uh, that's not to say that Christians won't be martyred in the church at Philadelphia. Most right. likely, Absolutely. many of them will be. Many of them already had been, um, but they will not be, and they will not, believers will not endure the wrath of God. They have been destined for the wrath of God, right? And they will be eternally secure, though their lives might be taken. I think that's important to just, there's a framework. Yeah. Well, and I think, too, here, it doesn't mean that we... I mean, whenever it says that he will keep them from the hour of trial, means I mean, they're going to persevere through that. But it, but it, I mean, Christ is going to preserve them through that. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean that they don't have to persevere too. Right. right, right. And so, because he goes on to to give them instruction in verse eleven, it says, "I'm coming soon. Hold fast to what you have, so that no one may seize your crown." So there's this idea that, that Christ is going to absolutely preserve them through it, but they continue to have to persevere. They continue mm-hmm. to have to hold fast to the faith. Yeah. Yeah. You think of even like in, 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 in Exodus, God did not um, uh, 
uh, decree that the um, Israelites would experience the, um, the, the angel of death, the death angel that would come through and kill the firstborn. And yet he still commanded them, put blood on your doorframe. Right. There was still an obedience yeah. involved. Right. Yeah, and I mean, that's just a little picture, but um, the Lord sovereignly decrees things that will take place, but that does not mean, Hey, I'm hands off. Right. Uh, the right. Lord demands our obedience as he decrees what he wills. So let's continue to serve the Lord as he is for us and not against us. Yeah. yeah. So let's keep going. Um, so you mentioned hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. Can I go on to verse 12? Sure. Okay. Uh, the one who conquers. So I think the command here is no critique. I think the command is hold fast to what you have. Um, they've been faithful. They've kept the word of God. They've not denied his name. Um, verse 12, the one who conquers, here's the call to conquer. I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Uh, never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem and our, and my own new name. So, uh, help me out. Let's walk through this. Uh, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. There's a couple of things that are super interesting about this to me. Okay. One is that the church at Sardis that we went over last time um, in really this whole region, Sardis had experienced some devastating earthquakes. Well, so had Philadelphia because it, it hit the whole region. And whereas Sardis was self-sufficient and they wouldn't let the Roman government help them, Philadelphia was well, they were not self-sufficient. And so they needed much input from the Roman government, the Roman Caesar. And so like they were so appreciative um, of him that they changed their name for a brief time from Philadelphia to Neo Caesarea. So I want you to think about whenever, whenever it says, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, a pillar would have been extremely important for people who had experienced an earthquake. I mean, there's, mm. there's this idea of stability. There's this idea that, that you will be a part of the temple. You know, we're, we're being um, built up as living stones into the temple of God. And so, so here, this is an idea of, of stability that, that you, will, you will not be shaken because you're going to be a pillar in the temple of God. And then whenever it says, um, well, l- let me see if you have anything to expand well, on the temple. Yeah. So just a couple things there. So you mentioned the name Neo Caesarea, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so for those of us that may not know what that means, let me just maybe clarify. And I know mm-hmm. this because I read this before we started this podcast briefly, right? So there was an earthquake. Uh, the Imperial Roman um, people helped rebuild. That's what you're saying. Maybe built some pillars or stuff in the city. They renamed their name Neo Caesarea, which is basically Caesar's new city. Right. So they named their city basically, hey, this is we're Caesar's new city. We're for Caesar. Right. And then uh, so that's the name of the city. Right. Well, the tricky part is, is the people of God don't believe that Caesar is Lord uh, right. and that they, they don't they're not a part of the imperial cult. That's part of the reason why they're being uh, persecuted. Right. And so uh, what does he say? Well, hey, I'll give you my name. <laughs> right. That's uh, kind of awesome. Right. Uh, you'll be the new Jerusalem, not the Caesar's new city. Yeah. Hey, you'll be my city, right? Yeah. Uh, that's kind of cool, right? Um, I mean, it's just so cool how like God knew exactly what the church had experienced, what the church, what the, the, the culture loved to be called. And he's like, no, you're mine. Uh, yeah. I, you're my exiles, right? Um, and there's three names really mentioned here. It says, 
um, you know, if you didn't catch it, it's, it's the name of my God, the name of the city of my God and my own new name, right? Um, believers receive the name of the Lord in the end of revelation, um, being that they are the Lord's right. Um, so, um, yeah, any, anything. So you mentioned, I think you wanted to ask me anything about the temple. Is that, well, I just wanted to know if you had anything else to expand on in regard to the pillar. Um, I don't think so. No, I mean, just, yeah, yeah. Stronghold because of the earthquake. Right. Um, so yeah, there's so much more I want to expand on the temple in general. Uh, but that's later to come in the book of Revelation yeah. and what the temple is and all that kind of stuff. So, well, I think it's important for us to see too that whenever this writing the name, like I don't think that means that you know God is going to be this heavenly tattoo artist and he's going to put his name literally on you, right? And it's an idea of ownership, yeah. And you know, like I don't know if I've mentioned this here in this podcast before, but like I, I know I've mentioned it to our church is like, uh, Sherry and I, we adopted Evan, our youngest son, um, five years ago. And whenever we did that, we gave him our name, right? Mm -hmm. Like he wasn't just Evan with nothing else. Like we gave him our name. And so like, he's part of the family Mm -hmm. now and he's included. And, and so whenever Christ writes the name of God and the name of the city of my God and my own name, it means, Hey, you're mine. Hmm. like you said, you're, you're not Caesar's, you're mine. And there, there's this ownership and meaning that, that you're part of the family and you're, you're getting in because he said he's, he's put an open door before them. Right. Hmm. And so that's the idea of this ownership and inclusion uh, in the temple of God is that because you are mine, you're in. Yeah. Yeah. And I would just say too, that you have throughout the book of revelation, wherever you stand on uh, the, when things are going to happen, futurist, historicist, idealist, preterist, I guess, um, you have a consistent uh, contrast between those who've received the name of the Lord and those who've received the mark of the beast, right? Uh, Not that they've uh, received a microchip or a vaccine, but they've committed allegiance to the Lord, uh, to the beast. And so they are the beasts, right? Uh, Not a vaccine. No, they've committed allegiance to the beast, Right. Um, you see how I brought that in there. Uh, yeah, so, nice. <laughs> yeah. uh, so uh, in, in contrast with that, those that have uh, given their allegiance to the Lord and even martyr, been martyred because of it, right. Yeah. They've received a mark and it's that they're Christ's. Yeah. Right. So they're marked by the Lord. Right. Um, just like you mentioned your son, he has your name. He is hmm. yours. Right. And no one else's right. Um, other than the Lord's and, but you, whatever. So, um, yeah, I think that's really cool. Um, we could talk about the new Jerusalem, uh, but let's go on. He, who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. So what you have heard, listen, listen to the word of the Lord and obey, hold fast, um, to the teachings of Christ keep it no matter the cost. Anything else you want to say to Philadelphia? I think that, I think it pretty well sums it up, man. Well, may we be like Philadelphia and even our enemies, though they may come against us. May we pray that the Lord would make them bow before him. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Why don't you pray for us and close us out? All right. 
Father, we are so thankful that we have this reassurance um, over and over in the scriptures that we are yours and that we will be a part of the kingdom. And as Trent mentioned, God, we pray that we would be people that would look at those who at this point have rejected you and pray and witness and desire that they come to faith, that they would bow in repentance and that they would receive grace and salvation. Father, we pray that those that are hearing this, uh, Father, if there are any that don't believe, God, that you would bring them to repentance, Lord, that you would make them bow down before you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Thanks for being with us. Uh, We hope you join us again next week uh, for the church in Laodicea. Mm -hmm.